Pastor Xavier Reese with an exhortation for separating truth from error. You should pay attention how it is that you hear and what it is that you're giving heed to. Because not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of God. Not everybody who uses the Bible is of God. Not everybody who teaches the Word is teaching the person of Jesus Christ. And you need to examine the Scripture. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. No pastor or teacher likes to dwell on the negative, but rather prefers to exhort or uplift his hearers. The simple truth, however, is that the Bible has more negative things to say than positive. In fact, the largest percentage of Jesus' teaching was warning against sin and disobedience to God. And so it was with the epistle of Jude, who began by writing his heart's desire was to write on the subject of their common salvation in Jesus Christ. However, many were turning away from the faith, and there was a great need to bring to their remembrance the growing apostasy and challenge them to earnestly contend for the faith. Here's Pastor Xavier continuing an ever-relevant verse-by-verse look into the book of Jude. We said in our introduction that Jude is believed to be the half-brother of Jesus Christ. He was an unbeliever prior to the resurrection. He was a believer after the resurrection. And here we find him writing this small epistle, and he identifies himself as a servant. The word is doulos, a bond slave, one who is a slave by choice, a servant by choice, a bond slave to his own half-brother, to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now in verse 3 and 4, we have the occasion for the letter. He says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. An endearing term, beloved. Break it up and take it as a command. Be loved. Receive the love of God. Receive what He desires to do in your life. His motive is love for you. His motive is not to make life difficult for you or myself, but His motive is to perfect you and to refine you into the image of Jesus Christ. That you might be aligned with His perfect will and that you might receive the greatest of benefits in Christ for His glory. Jude says here that while he was diligent, to write to them concerning the common salvation. In other words, Jude was just going to write just some normal letter to Christians, just talking about the general faith in Christ. He says here that he was compelled by the Spirit of God, and he was redirected to write this letter. I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you. Exhortation. Exhortation means, come on, get up, do something. You can do it. Sometimes as a body in Christ Jesus, we just sit. And we're so full of knowledge, but we need exhortation. Get up and do something with what God has given to you. Do something about your faith and with your faith. And so here he's writing 
to exhort them, but it's not to do something with their faith, but it's to do something regarding their faith. And he says that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. The word contend earnestly is only found one time. It is here in the New Testament. It means to fight against the assault, to defend the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. In other words, the faith is under attack from within. He says, For certain men have kept in unnotice, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men, who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny the only Lord, God and our Lord, Jesus Christ. The word crept in unnoticed is the word to creep in stealthily. In other words, secretly, subtly. The word is used of smooth words to try to convince a judge and a jury. The word is used of a man who has been expelled from a country and he's trying to secretly spy back in. This is how these men come into the body. They don't come in with banners saying, I'm a wolf, I'm an apostate. No, they come in with sheep's clothing. And it's interesting, they always go to the new believers, to the weak lambs. They never go to the pastor. They never go to the elders. They begin to rally little groups to infect them, to divide, to raise up disciples unto themselves, even as Paul warned the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, verse 29 and 30. I have seen... Many times this happened in the body of Jesus Christ as a pastor. And I am amazed of how often churches are divided right in half because of such men and women who come in and begin to promote the most contemporary heresy. But the amazing thing is that God's people love it so at times and they give ear to it. Have you ever been amazed how often the scripture says, he who has an ear, let him hear? Do you think it's for any reason? You should pay attention how it is that you hear and what it is that you're giving heed to. Because not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of God. Not everybody who uses the Bible is of God. Not everybody who teaches the word is teaching the person of Jesus Christ. And you need to examine the scriptures just as you need to examine what I teach in the context, in the whole of scripture and make sure that it's so. Notice that he says that these men long ago were marked out for this condemnation. The word is crema. It means sentence, the actual judgment. Sometimes uh, we call out names or sometimes I'll mention a group of people or something. Some people will get upset. Now I can't judge them eternally, but I can judge them presently by their fruits. As a matter of fact, I am called to as a shepherd. When men are propagating positive thinking, and New Age thinking over the pulpit, and they profess to be Christians, I have a responsibility to say they're not. I don't have an option. 
Ezekiel was the watchman. Judah's a watchman here. You and I are a watchman to the body of Jesus Christ. We are responsible to proclaim, to herald, to warn those. Because God says, Ezekiel, if you don't warn them and they die in their sin, I'll hold you responsible. But if you warn them and they don't repent and they die in their sin, you're set free. You say, oh, yes, but that's Old Testament, Xavier. Oh, what did Paul say to the Ephesian elders? He said, I want you to know that I am innocent of the blood of any man. Where did he get that? Ezekiel. Paul says, I have given you all the counsel of God. I have not withheld back anything. And so we cannot just shrug off that responsibility. And yet there should always be a heart of compassion. A heart of love that is driving that proclamation. You know, if a person is in a burning building and they don't know it, and you're at a vantage point where you can get their attention, you don't really care how stupid and silly you look. All you care about is that you get their attention. And I'm sure when he sees you, he may look down and say, what's that jerk doing? Look at all these, look at them. What's he young? What's he getting old? But once he finds out what you're trying to tell him, let me tell you, he's not going to criticize you for how foolish you looked. He's going to be indebted to you. That is the picture we should have of people without Christ. They're perishing. And we need to proclaim. But you know what? People are not only perishing outside the church. People are perishing within the church. You remember the prodigal son? It was very easy and obvious to see him lost. Ending up in the pig's pen. One day he came to his sons and says, Man, my dad has servants and they eat better than I do. I'll get up and I'll go back and, and I'll ask him forgiveness and, and I'll have him hire me as a slave and, and, and at least I'll eat better. He repented. The father looking down that road every day hoping and, and praying for his return. Finally it happened. Before the son could even get a chance to say, Father, forgive me. The father embraced him and hugged him and kissed him and, and told his servant, he says, bring me the shoes, bring me the ring, bring me the best cloak. My son was lost, but now he's found. Rejoicing, compassionate, merciful, gracious. But the son, who appeared to be so safe and so good, was all uptight. He said, I can't believe my dad. Here I've been here. I've never left him. I've, I've been faithful. I've, I've hung in there. And he's never thrown me a party. I'm not going to that party. Who was the lost? The one in the house. What an awesome picture of today. People going in and out of church, and yet they are lost. Their own self-righteousness. Going through motions. Having lost the emotions. What a dim picture. Jude says these men have crept in unawares. They are condemned. And by God's grace, if they turn, praise God. But at this point, he casts them off. Now he says, ungodly men. A favorite word here, it's a key word in the epistle of Jude. You find it six times. It speaks of character. When you speak of an ungodly person, you're speaking about a person whose character is ungodly. They can do nothing but evil things. Their motives, their intents, everything they look at, everything they think of, it's just ungodly. They cannot look upon a woman without thinking of going to bed with her. 
They cannot look upon a person's work of goodness without thinking that there's an ulterior motive. It speaks of character. Two things he says. They turn the grace of God into licentiousness and deny the Lord Jesus Christ. They really turn the grace of God into a license to sin. The word licentiousness is a word that means indecency, no restraint. It's not even that they flaunt their sin proudly. It's that they have gone so far that they don't even care about any decency. And they've gone so far that it's just a, a form of life. But secondly, they deny the Lord. The only Lord, the reference there to Lord right after the word only, means despot. In other words, absolute owner, one in control. They deny him. What do they deny? They deny the atonement. They deny that they have been redeemed. They deny that God calls the shots. So here in verse 3 and 4, you have the theme and the purpose of the epistle. Now, verses 5 through 7, we have past judgment of apostates. Jude picks three examples from the Old Testament. And they're not just out of the hat. I think they are very specific. I think they are dealing particularly with the issues that Jude is dealing with. And we need to pay heed to these examples. He says, but I want to remind you. Notice this by way of reminding them. Nothing new, just reminding them. I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. The references to the Exodus, in particular, Numbers chapter 14, where God told them there, these guys, I saved them. They are continually rebelling against me, unbelieving. I've sent them to spy out the land at their own request. They came back. Ten of them said, we can't take the land. Two of them said, we can well, you tell them, Moses, now that they're going to take a 40-year march in the wilderness and they're all going to die. And they're not going to enter the promised land because of unbelief. This is the first example that Jude uses regarding these apostates. Those who knew, those who had the privilege, those who had been delivered did not enter the promised land. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us that those things are for our learning, for our example, lest we should come to such a place. And then he says, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Book of Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 on down to chapter 4, he speaks about not hardening our heart in the day when we hear the Spirit of God, lest we fall into the very same sin of those who did not enter into God's rest. What is the sin? The sin of unbelief. The sin of not resting and believing God for what he desires to do. Taking hold of your own life. Desiring to go back to Egypt. Raising of gods who are going to deliver you. This is the first example. It has an Old Testament text for it. A real occasion. It isn't the figment of his imagination. He isn't bluffing. He's not using scare tactics. He's using a real account to warn the people of God. The second account is in verse 6. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own habitation, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment 
of the great day. Now, you know that these examples Second Peter also used. Let me just read Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. He says, If God did not spare the angels who sin, but cast them down to hell, or Tartarus, that's the name there, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, only the eight people, a preacher of righteousness bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Peter uses that also, but he puts a different twist on it, a different emphasis. But the angels are both mentioned by Peter and Jude. Who are these angels? What was their sin? It's interesting that in the context of Peter and in the context of Jude here, the context is sexual sin. Notice that he says that they did not keep their proper domain or their first estate, as some translations have it. But they left their own habitation. Whoever these angels were, it says they are reserved in everlasting chains. Second Peter just told us in a place called Tartarus. They are so evil, so vile, they committed such a gross sin that God bound them. Now many try to make the sin of these angels the sin that Satan made of rebellion. And as Revelation chapter 12 tells us that a third of the angels followed him. But this cannot be the sin that he's talking about. Why? Because these angels are bound. Satan is loose and so are all his angels that followed him. But there is a group who are bound. So whatever these angels are and what they committed, they do not fall in the category of those who are loose today. They are bound. Not only that, it was the accepted interpretation by the Jews that angels had tried to come in and take wives to themselves. But let me give you one more reason that it is angels and their sin was sexual sin. Listen to the third example. As Sodom and Gomorrah. As what? Angels. The sin of the angels is associated and affiliated as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities round them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after, listen to this, strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. The very context, the very link, the very grammar demands this interpretation. Now, the third example is Sodom and Gomorrah. You will not find any other example in Scripture that is used to illustrate sin at its most heinous level as sodomy, homosexuality. And the cities are Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus Christ braided the cities of Chorazin and Bethsaida and Tyre he says that it would be better for Sodom in the days of judgment than for them because they sinned against the greater light. Interesting, none of those three cities can be found today in Israel. They don't exist. Neither does Sodom and Gomorrah or Adama and Zeboim, the other cities. God judged Sodom and Gomorrah 
in such a way that you find it from Deuteronomy, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, Hosea, Luke, John, Romans, all over. That everybody knows what it stands for. And God has used it as his judgment against anybody who attempts to make homosexuality or sexual depravity an affiliation with the grace and the approval of God. No such thing. He signed it in brimstone and fire. You know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. God had been talking with Abraham and two angels with him. They had heard the cry of Sodom, and in Genesis 19, they went down to see. God remained with Abraham, and Abraham began to bargain with God. What if you find 50? Will the judge of all the earth destroy them? Won't he do rightly? He says, okay, if I can find 50, I will. And he says, how about 45? How about 40? How about He got down to five. They couldn't even find that. There is no sin more heinous than homosexuality. It's the total deadening of any sense of guilt or shame. And yet there are men today and groups today who will try to convince you that it's an alternate lifestyle. Why is it that there is such a drive today for us to embrace it? Because it is one of the characteristics of the period of great apostasy before the return of Jesus Christ. Never in world history has there ever been an embracement and a complete force in movement for the acceptance of homosexuals and homosexuality as there has been today in the history of the world. It's a chief characteristic before the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And a chief characteristic in Mark, now let me assure you that God loves the homosexual. Let me assure you that God can save the homosexual, but he will equally transform the homosexual and he will not abide in that sin. For Paul says to the Corinthians, some of you were homosexuals or fornicators, but you have been washed, you have been bathed, you have been cleansed. Now you're new in Christ Jesus. And so I am not excluding the homosexual from salvation, but I do exclude the homosexual from being a Christian and still continue to practice that form of lifestyle. It is not biblical. Leviticus 20.13 says, If a man lies with a man as he does with a woman, they shall both be stoned and killed. We don't have time to get into a whole bunch of this, but read the record of Romans chapter 1. He says, When they knew God, they didn't want to retain God in their own mind. And they changed the natural use of the woman, women burning in lust for women, men for men, doing those things which were unseemly. God giving them over to a reprobate mind. When they knew God, they didn't want to retain him in their mind. They knew. They rejected. And they began to worship the creature more than the creator, which is blessed forevermore. Tremendous three examples. Pay heed to them. These three will mark apostates. They will have a very spiritual approach on the outside. But this is their true character. It's an example, he says, of the suffering and vengeance of eternal fire. What a tremendous exhortation. Preach to the homosexual. Preach to the fornicator. But you dare not condone to their sin. For God does not accept them that way. And neither should you or myself. And so, Jude has given us a little taste 
of this tremendous epistle. Pastor Xavier Reese and Scripture's assessment of apostates of old and new. Timely, simple truths from the book of Jude. And this verse-by-verse message titled Jude Part 2 is available on CD upon request for just $4. Having your own copy allows you to review the study again at your own pace. Plus, we'll be able to include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is Jude Part 2. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And then thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com